0: Okay, guys, and welcome back to another podcast. This week's gonna be a little bit different. Um, I have got a full-on guest for this podcast. It's been a while since I've done an actual guest interview on the podcast itself. It's either been solo podcast with me, um, or joint podcast where we're both talking about a specific topic. Um, We did plan to have Joe sort of discussing a little bit on purely off-season pushing up in body weight, Um, but last week Joe was sick, so we weren't able to do that. Um, so I thought I'd actually take the opportunity to get Joe on for purely a guest interview, which is going to be exciting for me. Because it allows me to take a bit more of a back backseat um, and obviously to sort of fire away questions at Joe that primarily, like, I want to hear his opinions on. Um, but also, therefore, you guys will be very interested, too. Um, so for anyone that, that doesn't know Joe, Joe himself is a is a very well experienced coach within the bodybuilding industry. Um, definitely stamped his mark as, as one of the the go-to guys as well in terms of knowledge in the UK uh, he runs his own podcast the optimal physique development podcast with Austin Stout um, and then again I would highly recommend you guys going and listening to that if you haven't already so to crack straight off into things Joe like I I, I don't want to waste any time with regards to anything else I want to just get first into the question so where where from the off-season perspective a lot of people seem to get confused with start points so where would you for for a client you know coming to you for an off-season what would be what would be the ideal spot to look to start an off-season so how are we looking for a position to grow like what markers are we looking at from a health perspective what are we looking at from a body composition perspective and what general considerations are we taking before we even start the off-season phase what's the generic start point that you're looking at as a coach okay
1: cool so as you know like firstly thank you very much for having me on hello everybody that's listening you probably mm-hmm. never heard of me because i don't think we share much of the same audience um True. Yeah, most of cool. you guys probably know my wife actually jasmine um <laughs> probably listen to her podcast uh, more than mine but um right yeah so yeah aj thank you so much for having me on i'm, I'm honored to be on um so Breaking down the off-season thing, you mentioned quite a few things there that I think are worth digging into. So health, firstly, um, is generally top of my list. We'll be looking at comprehensive pieces of blood work and various other biomarkers, like simple ones you can do yourself. It could be heart rate variability, blood glucose, resting heart rate, stuff like that. I want to know that you're not overly sympathetically driven. So this could be if you pick up a client straight out of a contest prep, uh, probably very systemically stressed, inflamed, and uh, very sympathetic nervous system dominant. So I need to get them out of that first. Um, if you're an enhanced athlete, or in fact we could let's let's stick to the the natural thing now, being that that's your audience. Um, sure. you're, you're likely hypergonadal if you're coming out the end of a, a contest prep. We want to get your HPG axes, your HPTA axes, everything from your testosterone, your thyroidal function. We, we want to get that back online. Firstly, that's the primary concern. So that could mean for some people, like women, um, getting their calories very high, very fast and mm. on body fat on purpose, which is something that people don't want to do. And I suppose it's something that we should talk a little bit about why in some cases you want to push harder um, yeah. so that there are some cases that you will have to put on body fat fast, um, I mean it's happened to me recently with a new client where they had amenorrhea, extended amenorrhea for a long time which um, isn't with in and of itself a health concern but she had some androgen estrogen ratio imbalances on blood work when we dig further and it was simply a case of I said look eat this for two weeks and I'm going to bet you a month's coaching fee that you get your period and she did luckily um, even though she hadn't had it for seven odd months since her last show so um, which isn't a long time in the grand scheme people go a lot longer. Um, and it's not necessarily something to worry about unless it correlates with some odd blood work. Um, so there's an example. And then if you are enhanced, you want to get your lipids back where they should be, kidney function, liver function, everything back online. So that could be something as simple as introducing a liposomal glutathione, addressing DAO and various other histamine issues that could come about from your trembolone usage or whatever, you know, which is a very common pre-contest drug. Sure. Um, making sure that if you're coming out at the end of a contest that you are insulin sensitive and your nutrient partition is where it should be. In some cases, people are too insulin sensitive um, and they're going hypo when they're going for a walk and things like that when, you know, truly peeled. Again, a case for putting some calories in fast. It does work the other way as well. You don't want to be completely insulin resistant with a super high um, blood glucose reading, but you don't want to be super low all the time either. Um, I'm not going to be
0: Uh, sort of methods of biofeedback something that you would do straight away with every single client that you'd work with in going into an off-season phase would you would you deem these as almost essential pre-off-season markers for every athlete or do you think there's there's sort of levels to including, including biofeedback as an athlete uh
1: definitely not everyone and interestingly Someone that you probably know, Kerry Sexton, asked me this today about reading blood glucose. Sure, um, sure. That she wants to learn more herself. Like, oh, do I need to measure this? Like, you don't need to, but yeah. what gets measured gets managed, essentially. Um, and if you are a pro and you want to do whatever it takes to win, which is most of my clients, they are um, most. I don't work with many Gen Pop. It's mostly people that are doing everything in their capacity to win or yeah. to perform. Um we, we will dig further, but not everybody, you know, if you're just a gen pop person that's not out the back end of a contest and you just want to gain some muscle and you're fairly lean and stuff, you don't need to take your blood glucose postprandial after every meal or something and, you know, be doing heart rate variability when you wake up every day, because on the other end, it can go too far. And people do it with HRV. They measure their HRV. Oh my God, it's a little bit sympathetic today. I can't train for five days, and I need to take a ten-hour-long Epsom salt bath. You know, so yeah. <laughs> you, you know you could go in and have the best session of your life that night. You know, it's it does go too far.
0: Yeah, I think that's what I've seen. I mean, I'm interested to hear your opinions on this as well. I think one of the common preconceptions with the biofeedback side of things in the fitness industry at the moment is that if you don't feel like if you don't have the ability to be in touch with all of these things yourself then that's a that's a, that's a a poor thing to, to have as an athlete like you should be able to understand this within your own sort of understanding of recovery and how you're partitioning nutrients and where your body composition is at but how often is for you someone as a coach who uses biofeedback how often is you, have you got someone who amongst the preconception in the fitness industry would have a standard good level of like fasted blood glucose for example so they were had good level of body composition tended to sort of be responding to nutrients well but for some reason the fasted reading wasn't where it would be or wasn't where you'd expect it to be how often have you sort of come into that or are most of these biofeedback tools giving you what you already expect from them <clears throat>
1: It does happen where you'll get some biomarkers that aren't where you think they're going to be, but when you dig further, you tend to figure out why. Like a big example is if someone's lean in great shape and whatever and they've got a a high fasted blood glucose or they're not partitioning nutrients properly, I mean, usually if I dig into their sleep, that's the problem, or overly sympathetically stressed and things like that. You know, they're in great shape, but they're not functioning properly on a central nervous system level.
0: Sure. Yeah, that that was the response that I, I'd expect to hear because I've toyed with it myself in in coaching. It seems to give me what I'd expect pretty much nine out of ten times, with a few underlying things. Like, have you ever had a, a weird interest as well? Have you ever had people have um poor quality strips or a weird batch of strips? Um, yeah. That yeah. Yeah. Just fucking ab- abnormal readings, like diabetic readings, consistently.
1: Yeah, well, that's the thing, though. They are, I mean, every market, like, even blood work, like, I feel like I can tell an assay error when I see it. Yeah. Like, sometimes I'll get someone's, like, their testosterone will be 700 and their is 200. I'm like, that, there's no way you are aromatizing testosterone at that level. Like, you probably don't even have that many aromatase enzymes in your whole body. Like, that that is an error. And they're, they're going, oh, my God, am I going to get man boobs? And so it's like, it's just not real. Like, forget about it. Like, there's no way that that's unless you're injecting pure estrogen. That's not happening. Like, yeah, and you get it, but they're usually like off the scale.
0: Yeah. Sure. Sure. Understood. So, <clears throat> that's cool. That's covered a, a lot of things with regards to start point with um, biofeedback. Before we move on to sort of like where you'd want to be from a few other perspectives, staying on the the process of biofeedback now with blood glucose and just general recovery capacity within the hrv readings what's the what's some of the first things that you would do uh, in terms of digging deeper you mentioned sleep but what else would be like sort of dug into if an athlete was giving poor feedback on some of these sort of ground level biofeedback variables uh
1: stress being an all encapsulating thing of many lives multifactorial stress isn't it how stressed are people getting at simple situations what's their level of perceived stress in relation to their systemic stress you know do they even realize that they're stressed like are they eating whilst driving you know or something like that are they walking around the house doing something eating out of a tupperware or are they sitting down and taking their time and chewing their meals you know oh you know i've been busy today so i've just been throwing down meals they don't even realize that they're stressed and, um, you know, because perceived stress and actual sh- systemic physical stress is v- a very different things. Mm. Um, and you have to really sometimes really quiz your clients because, you know, when your clients check in, yeah, man, I feel great. Everything's great. But but you can see on on the feedback that it's not. Yeah. yeah. And, and they don't even realize sometimes, you know, you say, how long is it taking you to eat your meals? Oh, about, well, you know, five minutes. Well, you're on six thousand calories a day. Yeah, yeah. You know, your meal should be taking you at least half an hour to eat if you're eating them properly. Yeah. It's little stuff. Oh, I didn't realise that. Oh, I was just down in a shake on my way to work and stuff. And and these all the things, you know, downstream, have cascading effects that end up raising blood glucose and and trashing nutrient partitioning essentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Understood. So it's it's interesting because I think nowadays in a lot of coaching doesn't dig this deep at all I'm sure you're aware of this Joe with some of the clients that you've got um, that come from other coaches or other coaching processes and uh, I don't think even as coaches a lot of people take this into perspective as much as they need to Um, I must admit myself it's only in recent years of coaching that I've taken this into perspective when I first started coaching I wouldn't think beyond this as as, as much depth as we are doing now as coaches and it does unravel a lot of things that you were like, ah, okay. Like this is why this was, this is happening. Um, so yeah, I think it's something that even like as just any athlete needs to consider anyone looking to maximize even just pure muscle gain or, or obviously maximizing fat loss as well. They just need to consider all of these variables. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's fantastic regarding biofeedback in terms of, uh, Body composition, so most people going into an off-season phase, if they're a competitor, would have ended a prep, of course. Mm-hmm. But for someone that's maybe not ended a prep, what general guidelines would you look at in terms of just the the way that someone comes to you f- from a body composition perspective? What would you look for in terms of you know, just simply the way someone looks and um, so, their physique yeah. update? Um, what would you be looking for there before pushing up calories?
1: So what we need to look at, here is the most pertinent topic is what does their body composition have to be for them to function optimally day to day and increase performance because we're not thinking about fat loss anymore let's forget about that and that's what most people need to realize is you need to swap your mind to the goal of gaining muscle now Unless you want to get on stage in a couple of years, next year, whatever, looking exactly the same and getting waxed, you know, you need to realize that you need to dedicate this time. And for some people that means putting on, you know, quite a bit of body fat. Because some people, there's a lot of biological inter-individuality with performance, especially within women. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. Some women have to add more fat than they're comfortable with, unfortunately, to be at optimal hormone levels, optimal, which therefore downstream optimal levels of performance. And whatnot, reduce stress, and it's it's little things like the psychological relief of not craving food, you know, that's something so simple, but that is a stressor. I don't want my clients in their off season to be thinking about when their next meal is. I want them to be chilling out, yeah, and and they eat when they're meant to eat, and then they're pr in every session or something, you know. If that means getting a little bit fat, I don't care because losing fat is a lot easier than gaining muscle especially amongst your audience and i see it in the natural scene a lot is that people are scared to add body fat but i'll I'll tell you something every pro or true successful bodybuilder that i know you know and, and you can't say oh yeah but they're enhanced or whatever the same rules still apply um by I no I means playing down the, the drugs here; they are powerful and they work, you know. Because that's something else that gets on the nerves. But um, they've all gone through a period that you haven't seen, where they've had to really push hard. Yep. Yeah, and and people don't give it the the um, what's the word I'm looking for the credit it deserves. I think, and and you just have to accept that your goal has now switched. So. Sorry for rambling there, but body composition-wise, I'm not I'm not necessarily, you know, I'm not talking about getting people fat and sloppy, yeah? But you hear these rules like you should always be able to see your abs. Well, what if you genetically hold all of your body fat in your abdomen or fluid, especially when, I mean, I don't want to ramble about drugs, but when drugs come into play, if you and insulins, you're using higher insulin, you're going to hold fluid. And if you hold most of it in your gut, trust me, you're not going to see your abs. That doesn't mean you're not still lean, but you might be in the best possible Performance. My back.
0: I think I've got you back. <laughs>
1: What's going on here? This doesn't normally happen.
0: You were just on your point on performance.
1: Right. Yeah. So. For some people, they're going to have to push up harder than they'd probably like.
0: Okay. So you just touched on why some people need to push up further, um, and I think we're very much in agreement that <clears throat> people need to push to the point at which they are achieving their best performance. Okay. So we're yep. seeing logbook PBs. Um, most importantly, I think you know we're seeing that they're making substantial progress from their previous off season. So if they're looking at previous off season <sharp> PBs, they are beating them because that obviously is going to hopefully guarantee that they're building new levels of muscle mass. Um, when you're in an off-season phase, what sort of signs when you are pushing up and performance is great, when is that too much? When do we get to the point at which we need to start pulling back? What are your general uh, feedback tools from clients within check-in processes or you know, whatever feedback they're giving you? What do we generally look for in terms of uh, pulling back and how would that sort of tend to occur?
1: right so this is kind of multifaceted and and it ultimately comes down to a few different points for me um i mean firstly on a physiological level we're looking where their blood glucose starts sitting a bit higher than it was so therefore some level of insulin resistance is coming in their nutrient partition is therefore heading down therefore more nutrients going to the muscle cell uh more nutrients going to the fat cell less to the muscle cell and then you can see it reflected in their pictures from yeah. You know, they're, they're just getting fatter, and they're not adding any more muscle tissue. Um,
0: is that reading individual, Joe, or is that it reads yes. that
1: you're
0: generally looking? Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, so I I look at blood glucose on like averages of what people are sitting Um If we... It's a little bit different. Uh, I'm looking at where they're sort of... In, and as long as we're kind of in a normal range below ninety post-brand deal fasted and and uh, looking good and performing well, it's just as is. I'm, I'm looking at trends more so than single numbers because I think what what we often forget in the physique industry is that as blood glucose is is a snapshot in time. You know, it's you in that very moment taking a mm-hmm. reading, and it can be affected by so many different mm-hmm. things. So, look, I'm looking at a trend on charts, and if it's starting to head up and the body composition following and the client's feeling sluggish and stuff, and, you know, they're not getting good pumps in the gym either because their partition is off, then maybe it's time to pull back and reset. Um, <laughs> yeah. um length of time this can happen for us, like, highly individual. Like, in my enhanced athletes, like, to be honest, I can hold this off for a very long time. Because if you've got a combination of things like metformin, GDAs, insulin, stuff like that, um, it's not happening, really. you Because know? <laughs> I've got control over their blood glucose. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Sure. So, in a, from a body composition point of view, obviously you said taking people up to where they perform their best. Um, but um, do do not so much body composition, but more so body weight. Um, with with assisted athletes, obviously we're going to get potentially with the amount of muscle that we can accrue as assisted athletes, you can accrue more muscle, uh, more body weight in your off season without having to look to. Uh, get closer to your stage weight so the proximity to stage weight is different from a natural perspective but in terms of like where you take someone if they plan to compete the next season so if you had a whole year off and then you can plan to compete the next season where have you seen people like go up to in terms of peak body weights above their previous stage weight
1: um, oh man it's so variable and it's also going to depend on if they have a weight class to fit back into sure, um, sure. like if i give you an example of my client Tom, don't know if you've seen Tom, he's an IFBB classic. Um, Tom Evans in Vienna. Uh, I think he's been off season for about 12 weeks. He's 70 pounds up. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, but he's still lean, you know, he's still got fully visible abs and whatnot. But he's also like six foot five and he weighs 300 pounds. So (laughs) it's um, a bit of a different animal. But if I got, you know, a small girl, you know, we could be in the range of 20 pounds. Again, it's so individual. Because some, I mean, even some of my girls perform well, staying quite lean, and they can get through a lot of food, train really high intensity, and it's great. Some can't. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's 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 really, but not on that, to be honest.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I understood. Um, in terms of like uh, a lot of people struggle in the off season with motivation levels because a lot of people are fueled by competing um, and yeah. they want that next stage event to to come around faster than it potentially is how do you and your clients sort of get together a perspective on the off season and do do you set goals do you have time scales that are really far in advance how do you tend to plan and schedule out off seasons for for competitors especially
1: right yeah you're completely right that um, competitors are Neurotic dieters as well. And they always yeah. want to just drop and get lean again. Um, and uh, so I, I think you have to make a big point and ingrain to them that if they want to be the best, they have to learn to switch their mind to this goal right now. Um, because especially as, as a natural competitor, you accrue muscle tissue so slowly as an advanced resistance trainee. You know, if you look at Lyle McDonald's, um, like reviews on the literature there, you're looking at something like a pound a year.
0: I prefer not
1: to. After, <laughs> after like four years of training. Yeah. So, you know, so you're going to have to, but don't tell yourself it's a pound a year. Say, no. you know, I'm going to I'm gonna gain 10 pounds a year yeah. because I'm going to ensure everything is a 1,000%. And, that's, and when you tell them things like that, they're like, mm, actually, yeah. yeah, you know, because it's so easy to go. I mean, how many people do you know that get on stage every year and look the same? Nine out of 10. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So or it's just worse. about switching. <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah, worse. or gradually worse, which happens all the time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's Just switching goals because people are just goal orientated in this sport. We're so neurotic and obsessed with goal setting and being disciplined and, you know, doing the hard stuff or whatever other motivational holistic rubbish you want to say. Um, it's, um, you just got to switch your mind to the goal at hand and realize that that is the goal at hand
0: from a psychological perspective are you more of a stern coach do you say how it is to most of your clients or do you treat your clients individually in terms of how you force them to stay in offseason phases
1: absolutely individual and the longer you work with someone I think a good coach learns how to talk to each client individually to get them to perform yep. yeah I have some clients that I know that I need to talk to very sternly and tell them how it is. And I've got one client who may or may not listen to this, John Gill. He's a muscle tech guy. Um, He's got an awesome physique, but he whines like a bitch, right? (laughs) I'm hungry. (laughs) You know, and I have to say, John, shut the fuck up. You know I'm not interested. I'm not going to hold your hand through this. You know, just get on with it. You're a grown man. Stop WhatsApping me at three in the morning you know and that's that but then other clients I've got to be a little bit more soft with them because they, they don't respond to that you know and you learn that over time yeah. you just got to try little things there and then see how they respond I think that's what a good coach does is develop great communication with their clients because that coaching isn't isn't barking orders it's coaching you know it's in the name you, you are that person's coach you're not just telling them what to eat and how to train you're you're also their support system and it is your job to learn how to get the best from your clients through whatever methods
0: absolutely so moving away a little bit from from setting goals moving more so into nutrition for for an off season phase so in terms of how we set up the composition of a diet of course this is this is going to be very varied but what would you say is your most most frequently used approach for composition of the diet so how we're setting up macros in an off season phase are we are we favoring carbohydrates and running moderate fats are we favoring extremely high protein do you like just give a few examples of different approaches that you're using for composition of the diet
1: oh man and that's hard because again it's very individual and i think you know if we're if we're realistic about it we can talk nutrient timing and you know the the satiety and thermic effects of protein and the benefits of this and that until the cows come home. But ultimately the things that matter are clients preferences, keeping GI health on top, getting sufficient protein and hitting a calorie goal. They're the kind of main things that we need to focus on. And then around that, I kind of build to the client's preference and also, you know, their drug use ultimately. Um, If they're an enhanced athlete, um, Uh, So, if they're using a long-acting insulin analogue, I won't be nutrient-timing carbs just around the workout. You know, that'd be silly. They'd be hypo 80% of the day. If they're using a short analogue, then maybe I'll favour more carbs around the workout with the insulin use or something. Natural athletes, I really think it doesn't really matter for the most part. Nail some semblance of calorie and electrolyte goal i think people really forget about sodium potassium ratios and their benefits to body composition and performance and total levels depending on their output and fluid intake i mean that's something that i put a lot of focus into that people don't seem to for whatever reason um and as long as they're covering their micro phytonutrient fiber and protein needs i think the rest of the calories really don't matter just get them from sources that you enjoy, firstly, because enjoyment comes into GI health a ton. I mean, look at the research on gut microbiota and foods that people enjoy and then therefore how well they digest them. Um, yeah. You know, if you're eating, you know, fish and a rice cake <laughs> or whatever, and you don't like it, then <laughs> shooting some foot. is nothing hardcore about it. You're just being a, a meathead. Yeah. Yeah. Do
0: you think there's any sense so, in...
1: Yeah.
0: Sorry. Gary. I mean, it's, it's such various man. Do you think there's any um, sense in, in, in favouring significantly higher carbs and running as low fat as possible in an off-season phase? This seems to be quite a popularised method within a few coaches recently. And I think Micah Isratil has done a lot of talk top, 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 or chats on the topic. What's your opinions on that? Do you think that that's maybe sort of shooting yourself in the foot sometimes a little bit with sort of GI discomfort for some people on extremely high food or
1: yeah i'm not a big fan of that approach if we were going to talk maximum performance we'd probably say like as much fat as needed and then the rest with carbohydrate you know that's probably somewhere around a gram per kilogram of of body weight maybe um but i'm not, i don't really favor the super low fat thing especially for non-enhanced athletes I mean what are hormones made out of cholesterol so um we need to keep that in mind um the uh yeah I don't like that we're never hitting that slow gastric emptying point of a meal if you're just having protein carb meals all the time I don't like the micronutrients that you're missing out on and things from like I mean I'm a big fan of like whole fat yogurt whole milk cheese I like to include in my client's diet as, as much as I can Beef. I'm a big red meat fan for protein sources. I personally think it's the ultimate source of protein out there. I did do a post on that the other day. Uh, you know, again, especially in un, especially in unenhanced athletes because we can really take advantage of the the iron, the zinc, the selenium, the creatine, um, things that you just don't get from poultry or fish, um, B12 as well. Um, so I'm not I'm not a high fat guy. I'm not a low-fat guy either. I'm more like, how much do you need? And if people have super high caloric goals, I've got a couple of clients that are eating over 9,000 calories a day. They can't...
0: Can't go low-fat.
1: <laughs> yeah. What What are they going to eat? Yeah. You know, you can't eat 500 grams of rice of every meal. <laughs> you know. So I've got them mixing, you know. But then when you mix in almond butter with whole-fat yogurts and then having some cereal with it, you know, you get that down easy. And you can hit a 2,000-calorie meal and you're fine. But, you know, you, you'd be eating a whole box of cereal. It's, um, so, yeah, again, it's very, like, individual. And do you even like eating the fats, you know? Yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> it comes to that, I suppose. But I think there's very – I think when we really look at the long-term data, there's never any really much significant difference in outcome when calories are matched. As long as you're getting, like, sufficient macronutrients to cover your health basis, which is most important – And fats have so many roles in health. Most importantly for your clients, lipid health and hormonal function. I think you you would definitely be shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, you haven't got much of a choice when you are getting pre-contest. You're going to have to pull your fats, really.
0: Yeah, and that's the issue that I've always seen, Joe, is that if we're running low fat in the off-season, then we're running low fat pre-contest. When on God's earth we're actually having a substantial amount of dietary fat um, and I think, from an anecdotal point of view, I've always seen, as I've pushed up, especially from you know good sources like you're talking beef, whole eggs, mm-hmm. you know potentially cheese things like that. You know, when we look, when, when I see these things pushed up, I always get feedback from clients that they're they're just generally feeling better, um, and maybe yep. even like feedback basic like feedback post prep of sex drive returning and things like that. Tends to always be influenced by even even a very acute time period of running higher fat. Um, so you know we can tell you know the secretion and the effects there are are definitely clear. So running 50 grams, you know 45 grams of fat year round, I, 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 you know I, I'm in agreement there. I don't think that it's a sensible plan. Um, I think the only way you could maybe work around it is having training day training day fats low and if you're having two rest days a week, making the caloric amount from fat significantly higher. Um, that's the only way that I can
1: yeah I'm in that way yeah if you're doing a nutrient timing approach where you're pulling down calories or whatever on your off days or of pulling down carbs I know it's a, it's a Dr Scott likes it I've I've got a lot of clients doing the same thing I've yeah. um, got a lot of clients not doing that as well and eating the same thing every day but yeah it's a good way to kind of bump up your fats and then just target your carbohydrates around your your pre workout training window if your calories are relatively lower but again if you're on a high calorie intake. You know, forget doing that because you're going to be stuffing your face on training days and then be starving on rest days.
0: Sure, sure. So um, one final question that I had for you on nutrition is um, intra-workout shakes. How do you, how highly do you rate intra-workout shakes? What does a general intra-workout shake layout for, for you and your clients sort of look like in terms of obviously amounts differ greatly but in terms of ingredients that are in the intra-workout shake what does that tend to look like do you hear me joe
1: so you, i've got your back now sorry you just finished talking on my screen this is a, it must be a lag am <laughs> <Do you laughs> i back now. have you got me yes yeah yeah i got you so intra-workout shakes I am definitely um, a fan. I'm definitely a fan. Um, It's multifaceted. Um, I talked to Lyle about this the other day, and he actually worked out um, under um, extreme resistance training protocols how much um, carbohydrate would be required to maintain um, full full, um, glycogen storage, essentially, as um, there's there's an old study that Dr. Stevenson um, shared where it shows that um, glucose uh, glycogen, intramuscular glycogen, is actually depleted from the very first set. Of your session wow. interesting. um although the effects may be minor they do add up over time again if you're somebody that's trying to win but anyway for every hour of resistance training you're looking at about 30 grams of carbs to maintain top performance um so i'll keep my clients on around that number as they're dieting down but again this is another chance they have to eat if you've got a high carb intake or a high protein intake you can use some like Hydrolyzed whey isolate or just whey isolate, easily digesting whey and a high molecular weight carbohydrates, and with like a high osmolality, like hydrolyzed cyclodextrin like or a um, so not to draw blood away from any skeletal muscle tissue when you're training. Um, it's a chance to eat. I essentially just see it as another eating window for people that have high um, caloric intakes. If not, then just enough to sustain performance. I like I like essential amino acids. Um, to keep amino pools topped off, especially for people using insulin, as insulin does have various um, synergies with. It needs to pull from amino pools essentially to increase muscle protein synthesis. And if you're if you're breaking that down during training, then we need to ameliorate that effect. Um, and then, I, I mean, I like just throwing things in with the intra-workout shake that could probably be taken at other times of the day. Ergogenics like creatine monohydrate, it's pretty much every client uses, and everyone should probably use creatine. Um, you probably get about 5 grams of creatine with just over a kilo of beef per day if you're not eating that then supplement with it Um, and we know that it's got a greater uptake with carbohydrates so again a good time to take it you can throw in uh, glutamine there if you have any GI distress I like a couple of grams of glycine for the sympathetic nervous system regulation taurine 3 grams maybe if you suffer with back pumps if you're a particularly fluid holding individual or again um, Taurine has some PNS stimulation activity, which is good. Uh, what else do I use in my intro? Electrolytes, sodium, potassium, a gram of each. Brilliant. You know, it's easy. Um, Strom actually do an intra workout car powder called carbon Max. It's the only one I've seen that has um, equal amounts of sodium and potassium in so, and it's made of carbon. So I'm a big fan of that. I think that works really well. Sixly malate is a good ergogenic as well up to eight grams works nicely but you don't have to over complicate it you know don't don't be paralyzed you know paralysis by analysis trying to make these inch workout shakes with loads of crazy shit in it yeah. you know just some essential aminos and some carbs even dextrose if that's all you can afford if you can digest it well a little amount works nice
0: sure absolutely like yeah perfect i think i'll give people a good thought process regarding intro workout shakes I am um, I have been a huge fan for quite some time too and I think that you'd agree that there's something you want to try and keep in for as long as possible in a diet phase, correct? If we
1: were going to... 100%, yeah. I, I have all of my clients dieting to prep with their intrusion I've never had to pull it personally yeah. down to that 30 gram mark. I mean, 30 grams of carbs, you, you're not going to have to, <laughs> unless you're doing some kind of keto thing, which I'm not a fan of anyway, Um, you're not going to have to pull them.
0: Yeah, yeah, perfect. So... If if we were to do just one more question on nutrition, if we were to do a pullback, um, are you a fan of an aggressive pullback in terms of nutrition? Uh, do we want to get it done as efficiently as possible, like as really really fast and short in terms of the um, the diet itself, or or does that again obviously it applies to the individual themselves and where they're at? But are you more a fan of aggressive phases of dieting to break up and periodize an off season?
1: Well, I'll, I'll um. Talking off-season specifically, are you? Yes, correct. Right. So our base is really on the psychology of the client. If they just need to clean up a little bit, if we've been pushing, the faster the better, really, because the outcome is same. We've got literature on that. You know, in unenhanced women, they don't even notice any skeletal muscle loss. Um, in fact, post-diet, the appetite tends to be lower. The ghrelin response is lower in the people that lost the weight faster. Interesting. Um, yeah, i shared that study on my page for anybody that wants to see it. It's on there somewhere because um, it's pretty pretty new, just came out, I think I stole it from Lyle again, um, <laughs> and um, yeah, but however, if the client has a history of bulimia, or some kind of orthorexic behaviour, um, binge purge cycles, simple things like that, they can't mentally handle harsh deficits, um, then I won't, but if they can, then great, you know, essentially I'll, I'll be going as fast as I can, because again, coming back to this goal setting, the goal is gaining muscle, and whilst we're in a deficit unless we're using super physiological doses of drugs then we're not gaining any muscles so i want to get them in and out as quick as possible. i want to get it done because i don't want to be there in the off season we're wasting time essentially
0: yeah yeah sure understood so to discuss training um in an off-season phase i think a lot of people get confused with volume quotas when they're setting up training for an off-season phase um, I think now what I'm seeing amongst uh, most individuals is uh, maybe paralysis by analysis, again, with, with volume. Um, they're thinking, how, how can I be on the perfect amount of volume? Um, should I titrate my volume up? Should I titrate it down? Et cetera, et cetera. So, so how do you tend to sort of program volume uh, for your clients over the course of an off-season phase? are you looking to slowly work up to their maximum amount and then deloading or you tend to have them hovering an amount that they're able to progress on how do you tend to volume in in an off-season a training protocol um
1: yeah this is certainly topic of the century in the fitness world volume should you train at some crazy high volume should you train with low volume, high intensity, as if there's some kind of mutually exclusive thing. Um, I mean, if we were going to talk strictly optimal situations, then a client would probably be training at the highest volume, frequency and intensity that they can handle. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't translate into the real world. Um, I mean, realistically, I'd probably err on the side of caution, see where they can progress. And as long as they're progressing, I don't want to touch anything. Um, and, and typically if a client isn't progressing, I mean, because... To me, the ultimate goal for an off-season is to progressively overload, preferably via load. Yeah. Um, although, of course, there are various ways to progress, whether it be better execution, reps, or sets, which I'm not a fan of. Um, yeah. I'm really not somebody. Yeah, I, I really um, personally don't like the periodization schemes of adding sets every week and stuff and training with three reps in reserve on week one of it because I mean to me again what gets measured gets managed and and to me you can measure no intensity you can measure nothing or you can measure 100% effort and in between is just your best guess yeah. so I like clients pretty much just training their working sets to the point that they fail on the concentric they'll log it and then we're aiming to progress load from there with that same number of reps and execution. Um, D loads, I don't like pre programming either. It's based on by feedback. And again, I'll usually do something like just ameliorate the Like I could augment the volume. Something simple like, okay, we're still going to hit PBs on your top sets this week, but you're not going to do any back off sets, right? Something simple like that. Still enjoy training because everyone likes training hard, really. If you don't, then there's something wrong here, surely. Um, and maybe they are just train 50% volume that week. And then if they start progressing, then I might just hold them there. And we'll just do top sets for a little bit. And then maybe I'll put their volume up to 75% two weeks later. And we'll see where they're going from there. It's more of like a, a, an auto-regulation scheme for most of my clients on constant feedback rather than, right, a week eight, you're going to do this. Because I don't know how anything like that can be pre-programmed. like Like human physiology is so acute because it's not. You know, you might just get a shit night's sleep one night, and then you can't go in and do your five sets to two reps in reserve. So, you know, you see what you can do on the day, and and if you can progressively overload, and if you have a series of not being able to increase load, then there's probably something wrong that needs addressing, and it's usually too much volume. So, I mean, if I'm looking at the data, personally, I don't think people likely need to do more than ten sets per body part per week you could maybe push that up for weaker body parts or increase the frequency or something if you like. But if you're training hard and you're progressing with that number, to me, that's more than enough.
0: Sure, yeah. I think that's refreshing to hear. I think a lot of people do get, like I said, worried and stressed about doing the, 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 the amount of volume that's maybe said on a specific study or literature or, or what's posted online or what someone else is doing. Someone else doing much higher volume than them. Someone someone else titrating their volume over time. So, yeah, I think that's refreshing to hear that you, you're somewhat very very much on the right path with regards to doing what the client needs to progress. Mm-hmm. Which is ultimately, what we're looking for in an off-season phase is, is progression. So as long as that's coming, then that that's fantastic. I think we could, you know, like you said, add, add sets until the cows come home, but if they're still lifting the same load on the bar over time. Like, we really forcing true adaptation there i'm I'm not too sure whether we're maxing out that that capacity or not we're just adding endless sets and the value of those sets continues to drop off as you add more and more
1: yeah i feel like you're a junk volume at that point and there's also an adherence thing as well like in my experience not many people like training with super high volume i agree but love getting stronger like it's cool to lift more weight like especially women like they love getting stronger yeah. But it's like, okay, do two more sets this week. It's like, that is boring. Training to like four reps in reserve is boring. Yeah. So you're not going to ultimately adhere to it.
0: I, I think from from what I've seen as well, just to, to comment on it a little bit, I think I've seen people that train super, super high volume. The only people that manage to do that and enjoy it are people that do not log their training. So they go in and they just yeah. annihilate a body part and they just go until they can't go. But looking at a training protocol and having you know, five sets, six sets of one exercise or something, and then logging that repeatedly and trying to progress it, that is going to send you into some sort of psychopath. I think. Like, that's just going to be horrendous. Um, I, I look at some of my sessions and think that's a lot of work and there's not many exercises that are above two sets. And that seems like a, a lot to do because to psychologically lock into that is, is hard. Um
1: so yeah, and as I've got like bigger and as I've got stronger, my capacity for work has dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which will happen. I mean, back when I started training and when I was like 17 and I weighed 120 pounds, I could train with a lot more volume. I mean, I'm 250 pounds now at the same height, so you know the and the amount of weight that I can lift is very different. You know, uh, because I used to be able to only press the bar. You know, and today I did 150 for nine, which was a PB. You know, how much, how much of that can you do? I can't do six sets of that. You know, for chest today, I did four sets, and I was wow. wrecked. Yeah, that's low. Yeah. Yeah, and and then I'll do that again later in the week, and and you know, I'm I'm toast, yeah. but I'm at peak strength as well, and I'll find out with clients as well. As time goes on, we have to reduce the frequency and reduce their volume. Yeah, sure.
0: And you and you'd rather. Obviously, from a psychological perspective, you'd rather, as you progress as a trainee, train with the same level of intensity, but train with less work than train with a uh, a higher RIR and do more work. Used. Yes, yeah,
1: yes, yes. Because based on pure anecdote here, I mean, I used to train at Temple. I've trained with Dorian, and all the guys with the best look trained with intensity. And I mean, we're starting to see like I shared a piece yesterday where the low volume high intensity group outperformed um the high volume um low intensity group and it was a really well controlled study they were all trained individuals they continued to train in the same manner and it was via ultrasound and uh, there was a wide variety the control was was excellent some of the best that i've seen in, it, in a in a research paper and they and the lower volume group all got stronger and they had Bigger markers in uh, the arms and uh, the trunk, I think, um, but their legs were the same. The leg arch. But I feel like legs likely need more volume than the upper body, in my experience, anyway. I, and I feel like that's probably a proprioceptive thing uh, for most people. Most people can't really execute legs very well. Yeah. Um, I'm personally kind of the opposite. I've always had big legs. Yeah. Um, okay. But um, yeah, I've seen some of your squats, man. They're strong. <laughs>
0: Is, uh, all it seems to be gr- growing is my my ass, Joe. Like I don't. That's,
1: know my quads that's like all you need, progress. though, man. That's all you need. Trust me. I need more ham, but um, and <laughs> more ham. But yeah, I've got a huge ass as well. I mean, I can't squat anymore. I tore my quad not too long ago, and uh, yeah, it, um, it's done in my squats. Here, here we are talking about how good high intensity training is, in the tore my quad. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, based on anecdote and some recent research, I will say that there is a threshold of intensity where it is. I don't know. You know, it might be one rep in reserve, it might be two, but why don't we just be safe and and just go there? Because one, it's fun, two, it's mentally challenging and carries outside of the gym environment. Because when you do those things, you look back, you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. You know, everything else seems so easy in life, you know, which is so fun. And, you know, you can measure it. What measures gets managed. I'm going to keep saying that. So if you're hitting an RP10 or whatever term you want to give, if you're hitting consensual failure, you know that you've done X amount of work and next week you can do X amount of work. If, you, if I say, it's like my wife. Like, she has no idea what intensity that she is training at. She doesn't know how many reps. Because she'll start hitting grinders and then she'll do six more. It's, it's weird. But if I said try to do two reps in reserve, she'd have stopped there, you know, because some people really don't know where their like intensity and and strength is going to leave them, and that, and that's the case to just train it till you can't do it anymore, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and uh, this is why I get like again another another sort of thing that I've been absolutely avid on recently, or well in the past year really with coaching is is seeing people's training. Um, it's just something that I didn't capitalize on enough at the start, and I wish I did because. Half the reason why people weren't growing as effectively as I thought or even holding on to muscle and retaining muscle in a diet was they they simply cannot cannot train to the to the level that I want them to. Even if they they're executing well, um, they can't train to the level of intensity that I deem as required for the task. Um, so yeah, that's a very true point. And one one final topic that I wanted to cover actually on that on that point is um A lot of people go into an off-season with the goal of improving a weak body part. So in terms of breaking down how to improve a weak body part, what would be how you basically baseline level what you do initially to work on that weak body part and then then how you'd move forwards with that in terms of programming, exercise selection, etc?
1: Yeah, good question actually because over the years this has kind of changed for me. When I think about it, I think when I first started coaching and I was younger, my first kind of response would be to just throw more volume or frequency at it. But the first thing I'm kind of doing now with clients who have weak body parts is I want to know why it's a weak body part. So I'll look at their footage and look at their execution of the movement. And actually, more often than not, they're just not getting a good level of proprioception, activation and execution or even intensity, like we're talking about, in that muscle. So it's a case of breaking down the loading patterns, how to effectively load the muscle for its full range, and then I often don't have to change anything, to be honest because it's usually a weak muscle for a reason you know muscles grow it's like people say i can't grow my calves like you can grow calves just like you can grow your biceps like yeah you might have some high insertions whatever you might have a high inserted tricep or a bicep same thing you need to just increase the load you need to progressively overload via you know whether it be a tensile overload or volume overload like we were talking about although it's not my first choice it it obviously works um it's usually a case of just training it properly if not, then I would be looking at, yep, like you said, exercise selection. What exercise are you using? Are they favourable for hypertrophy? Do they have good loading patterns, or are they just targeting one specific part of the range, like your, like people, like biceps for example, where people only do barbell curls and dumbbell curls? Yeah, I mean, the, the mid-range, you're exhausting. Great. If that's all you do, you're never getting a bicep truly short, and you're never getting a bicep truly long. And um, I think you need to really load the full range. So maybe in that example, I'd have a client do like a, a high preacher curl to get it really short and then maybe like an incline cable curl away from the cable station to get it to get it long. And then yeah. learn to do that properly, increase load over time, and it's going to grow, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I agree. I think that a lot of people head towards, again, like we talked about previously, volume. Um, they fail to... Get the baseline level of execution correct before they head into just adding sets upon sets. You know, like uh, I think a quite a common one that I see is females heading the through their off season with not a, not enough glute tissue, um, so they just add more more glute work, more kickbacks, more abductors, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and, and without really fully appreciating how much a compound lift with great execution and, and targeted range of the glutes. Um, can can provide you know, and once they nail that, you see you know the tissue just fly on. Um, mm. So so yeah, I think that's that, that's perfect. So yeah, Joe, awesome. Um, that's pretty much all I really wanted to cover in terms of a brief synopsis on the off season itself. And um, I thank you very much for your time. I'm hoping that some people have definitely well, I I know definitely people have taken something from this, mate. And uh, like I said I to, to anyone listening definitely listen to to joe's and uh, austin's podcast um it's it's obviously again they do talk a lot about assisted topics um but i know that there's a lot of my following that have considered that route um and you must listen to that podcast amongst others in terms of deciding your point of view on that subject moving forwards because you have to be educated and joe and austin are very much educated on on those topics so before you do go down that route Educate yourself with people like Joe and Austin, and uh, and you'll be in a much better environment to make the the full use of it. Um, so yeah, thanks very much for your time, mate. I'll leave you to your evening, and uh, yeah, any any questions for either Joe or myself? Just leave them in the comments box. Cheers, guys.